Welcome to the Rusty George Podcast. Really glad to have you on this conversation. Uh, we're really trying to help leaders at all of our campuses and any church leader or uh, follower of Jesus uh, as they just navigate this road. And today I have a chance to talk with Christine Kane. Uh, we had a conversation a few weeks ago uh, while she was in town. She's normally on the road about 300 nights a year, she said. Uh, so having a uh, Having a chance to sit down with her was just fascinating and very, very uh, special because it doesn't happen all that often. And so she spoke to our uh, moms, especially the women in our church and all followers of Jesus uh, this past weekend via this interview, but we weren't able to show all of it because of time constraints. And so today on the podcast, we're going to let you hear the whole thing. So please feel free to share this with somebody else, especially a mom or a woman you know that would just be encouraged by what she has to say. Christine, thank you so much for letting us uh, crash your offices here and just talk to you a little bit. Happy Mother's Day to thank you. Thank you, and uh, it's such an honor to be with you. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family, and I know you have two kids, two teenagers, so a lot of people will relate to uh, that enjoyment. Yeah, well, it is, you know, uh, Rusty, I am married to the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet Earth, and so his name is Nick. Wow, okay. And, um, we've been married for 23 years, okay. and uh, my husband, actually, he is the 14th of 15 children, and um, oh, yeah, there was no television in that part of Australia, that's for sure, so he was like from there, so uh, we have two daughters, so, you know, his mother, I had to, I remember when we were done at two, she didn't think you were even started till number 10, you know, right. so I would go, this is my alpha and omega, the beginning and the end of my childbearing years. So Catherine Bobby is 17 and Sophia Joyce is 13. Oh and so I love it. You know, I was a youth leader for uh, almost 15 years. So I'm in my sweet spot right now oh, with great. teenagers. I love it. That's great. Okay. So catch people up on all the things that you're involved with, three specific organizations that I can think of, but also an author and, and speaker. So tell everybody a little bit about what your world looks like. Okay, it does. Well, um, together with my husband, we oversee uh, A21, which is a global anti-human trafficking organization. Okay. And so, of course, we help to rescue the victims of human trafficking, um, uh, prosecute traffickers. And so we are involved, everything from awareness um, right through prosecution. And then we have freedom centers for our restoration programs. And we have 15 offices across the world. Okay. And so that keeps us very busy on one side. And and then we have uh, a thing called Propel Women, which is helping to activate women um, to fulfill their passion, their purpose, their potential, and to really help them to internalize a leadership identity and uh, become all that God has created them to become. So we have uh, 4,000 chapters, right on 4,000 chapters in 79 countries around the world. So that's exciting. That really, and you know, it's countries like Pakistan and Qatar, and just kind of seeing different places where women are really being mobilized. I think that's really exciting. And of course, equipment empowerment is another ministry that Nick and I started, which really has a lot of different facets. Um, a lot of it is helping to uh, champion the cause of the local church globally. So we're very much into helping build churches. Part of that is uh, churches that we oversee is a network of churches called Zoe uh, Life Churches in um, Sofia, Bulgaria, Thessaloniki, Greece, Warsaw, Poland. And then under, I guess, the uh, auspice of helping to build the local church globally, I, I'm on daily television where I teach the Bible, uh, write books, and then um, do leadership conferences and training around the world. So it kind of all flows together. Wow. <laughs> 
that's exhausting. Uh, just thinking about all of that and a wife and mother, um, th that's just incredible all that you're doing. So for, for everybody out there, specifically moms who yeah. are thinking, wow, how do you do all that and manage you know, relationships sure. and manage just taking care of yourself and those kind of things, what would you say to them? What, what have you learned about just managing life? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Um, you know, whether you're a stay-at-home mother homeschooling three kids or doing what I'm doing, uh, we all need the same grace from the same God. So let's let's right. just start there. That uh, I, I really believe that God apportions grace according to what you're called to do. And so um, sometimes we look at people and if we think, wow, either I'm not doing enough because they seem to be doing so much more. Uh, mm. we, we compare ourselves amongst ourselves and Paul says that's not a wise thing to do. I think what we have to do is discover what it is that God has for us to do and then understand that um, we're never going to be enough to be able to do all that God's called us to do, that He gives us a grace and makes up for our weakness. But the best way I can explain it for me, Rusty, is that I don't have a compartmentalised life. I have an interconnected life. And so I think a lot of times we try to compartmentalise all the different hats that we wear. So it's kind of like, you know, God first and then family and then church. And then, it's too exhausting for me because I think that there is no way that I can fit a supernatural destiny into a natural life. So I need supernatural empowerment from God to do what I'm called to do. And I see my life like a wheel. And so like every wheel, there's a hub right in the middle and then there are spokes. And so, of course, I'm a, a wife and I'm a mother and I'm an abolitionist and I'm a leader and I'm a writer and I'm a speaker. I've got lots of different uh, roles as those spokes are. But if I wake up every day and I aim for that hub, that, mm. that middle, Jesus, mm. as simple as that. I know it sounds simple, but if I keep it simple, it works. Jesus is who I aim for. Um, and then I have the oil of the Holy Spirit. I guess that's the best way to go as oil keeps a wheel spinning. Then I find that the wheel spins well. And it's not how much I do that is exhausting or that will burn me out. It would be what I would neglect to do. So if I neglected what I would call my spiritual practices, my spiritual disciplines, if I wasn't in the Word, if I wasn't uh, planted in my local church. If it, to me, the things that fuel me and sustain me are the simple things, which is basically be in the Word of God, be planted in the house of God, uh, be in a great small group accountable structure. Those simple, basic spiritual disciplines um, are the small little cogs in the wheel that keep this whole thing spinning uh, really well. One of the things that uh, we've talked about over the course of this series, and I know you and I have discussed, and, and uh, we see a lot in the Bible about the concept of humility. Yes. And humility isn't just like thinking less of yourself. Yeah. Because there's, there's a way you can be arrogant and still be uh, incredibly self-deprecating. For sure. So you have found, uh, from, from my perspective, this, this lane of, I don't think too highly of myself, but I don't think down about myself. I, I found this middle lane, which I would call a humility. How would you define that? What does that look like in just yeah. living out exactly who you're called to be? Well, I think that's awesome because it's, I think once you truly discover your identity in Christ and who you are as a you know, son or daughter of the King, then <laughs> sometimes people go, well, Christine, you know, be careful. Don't take any glory because you're going to take glory away from God. I'm like, how small must your God be? <laughs> if you think that me on my best day, on my best day, could even 
put a little bit of uh, a shadow over the glory of God, then whatever God you're serving, He is much smaller than the real God. So right. I have a very clear understanding that He is God and right. I am not. How liberating is that? Because right. then I can just be me. I'm right. not trying to be God. I'm not trying to be somebody else's saviour. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very, I think in, in the world in which we live, those little confusing things, sometimes we can have a, a false humility, which is really rooted in pride. So by me going, I'm a worm, I'm hopeless, right. I'm not great. Right. Uh, you know, that that is not humility at all. Number one, it's it's saying that I am scarring the image of God. I'm saying who God created is not good. And that is not what Scripture says, that I'm created in the image of God and it's good. Well, everything that God made is good. We are the pinnacle of, the, of God's creation. That doesn't take glory away from God. I'm to reflect that glory to a lost and a broken world. So the more, and I truly believe, you know, um, John says it's to our Father's great glory that we bear much fruit. So I'm a great believer that we ought to become everything that God has called us to become so that we can bear not just a little bit of fruit, but much fruit because the way on this planet that we are going to most glorify our Father is by bearing much fruit, not by calling myself a worm, not by stepping out from all that God's called me to be. To become anything less than God has called me to be, I believe, is actually diminishing the glory of God on the earth. And I think of the parable of talents in Matthew 25 says that very clearly. You know, there's the, the guy that had five talents, the guy that had two talents, the guy that had one talent. Well, at the end of the parable, the guy that had five finishes with 11, the guy that had two finishes with four, and the guy that had one finishes with none. And I think that false humility of I'm burying it, I'm trying to be a worm, it means you're going to end up with nothing. But, you know, Scripture says to him who has more will be given. I think sometimes we get shocked and we think people are either arrogant because they're successful and they seem to be getting more. And it's like, hang on a minute, she's running an anti-trafficking organisation and she's running a, you know, daily TV program and she's running a women's empowerment. Surely that's enough. I'm like, according to whose measure? If God created me to do all this and more, um, then I'm not going to measure myself by some minimum standard here on earth. I'm going to measure myself based on what God has for me. So the more I can internally allow the Spirit of God to bring healing and wholeness um, on the inside of me, the more I can deal with pride, arrogance, bitterness, unforgiveness, offence in my own heart and keep it clear so that the Spirit of the Lord can flow through me, um, then the more effective and the more fruitful, what's at stake is fruitfulness and God's glory. And so I think we all as Christ followers have a responsibility to flourish to the fullest capacity that God has called us to. And that doesn't mean doing what I'm doing. That if, you know, for some people, Truly, being a stay-at-home mother, homeschooling your kids is the fullest uh, capacity that God has for them and the f that is how they're going to flourish and bring God great glory. So I think as long as we don't measure ourselves according to secular success standards, but we measure ourselves according to God's fruitfulness for our lives, then we're all going to be full of joy and be able to do all that God's called us to do. Well said, and so hard to do when we're always on Instagram. Well, totally. I think, <laughs> you know, and I've just made a decision. I think some of us have, in this era, we are so much more concerned with how many like us, you know, press like on our Instagram than us becoming more like Christ. So I've just kind of got some measures uh, 
You know, I, I really don't spend a whole lot of time on it. Now, obviously, I'm active. People go, well, Christine, we follow you and you're there. But, you know, I have mm. things that are scheduled. I have things that will protect me from getting into that, not comparing myself amongst myself. I certainly don't get caught up um, on any great dialogues because I think I want to use it as a place to encourage people. Um, but I certainly don't get my significance or my value from how many likes I've got. I, and I'm more obsessed, Rusty. Here's the bottom line. I'm more obsessed by how many are not following Jesus on the planet than by how many are following me. And so I think you have a very small view of God when you are obsessed with how many followers you have. When I'm like, currently there's about 8 billion people on the planet and I would say a good two thirds of them are not Christ followers. So I've got enough to keep me busy as I'm going after those to whom Christ has sent me. And that is what fuels me. What drains me and what depletes me is when I'm so consumed with myself that I care about how many are following me, how many like me. That's all about me, 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 me. But again, the, the, you know, the example you gave of humility, which truly is, I think C.S. Lewis or someone said it, that it's, it's not thinking less of myself, but thinking about myself less. And, you know, Rusty, I came from a background where um, I was sexually abused for 12 years. I, I uh, was very, very broken. And so the best way I can explain it is, of course, Abuse is never right. And the damage that it does is so destructive. So I was a young woman, so full of bitterness and unforgiveness and shame in particular, shame and guilt. And so the downside, uh, one of the many downsides of that is that I was always on my mind because it was my brokenness, my shame, my guilt, my condemnation, what my abusers did, my, my, it was just me. Every day I was in the, although I was no longer being abused, I was in the prison of me that was locked in my past. That's the subtle thing that the enemy sometimes doesn't, it really wants us to not be aware of. There's this subtlety that when you just get caught in your past, caught in your pain, um, it's just me, 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 me. And I always say when I encountered Jesus and then went through a very painful process, but a liberating process of restoration and transformation. The, the sign that I knew I was getting better was that I woke up and there would be like a week at a time where I didn't think of myself and I could think about other people. And that's when I say when I was able to start A21 and helping to rescue others, it was so liberating to be free from me and my pain and my past and my brokenness. And I think that's when I really stepped into humility, even in that area of overcoming the pain of abuse. Um, I could have lived as a victim, but truly at the root of that, it still would have been me. Me, 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 me. And I would have been just so, I would have went into eternity saved but so self-absorbed, whereas Jesus set me free from me. It was beautiful. Wow. So for those out there listening right now and are just beginning to move beyond yeah. me, it's a scary place. Very. What would you say to them as they begin that process? You know, it, it is... Uh, it is hugely scary because, um, and it depends what happened. So say for me, I, I guess if we use the guy by the pool of Bethesda, you know, Jesus went up to him and said, do you want to be healed? Mm. Do you want to be made whole? Which can seem like a, quite a heartless question, right. <laughs> really, because, but I think he was saying to him, do you want the responsibility that comes with getting up off the thing that has brought you great comfort? See, sometimes um, our mats, our cloaks of victimhood, they bring us comfort because we've gotten used to wearing them. And it is very scary to think, how am I going to walk out of this into freedom? It's one thing, and I mean, I know I'm mixing all my Bible metaphors, but we, you know, the children of Israel came out of Egypt 
and then they were supposed to spend a few days in the wilderness and then go into the promised land. Um, but although they just came out of Egypt with a suddenly a parting of the Red Sea, it took 40 years to get Egypt out of them. So sometimes you can be delivered out of something, but it takes God quite a while to set you free from the mentality that kept you in bondage. And so I think what we have to learn to do is understand that we can trust God. It's a step by step. I, again, I'm a big proponent of local church and a great church community. I wouldn't have made it without my church community. I had a lot to overcome. I still do. <laughs> you know, I still do. I'm not so healed this side of eternity that I don't need Jesus every day and I don't need his people to help me walk in wholeness and freedom. I'm only ever one thought away from spiraling back into how I used to be. And mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a great discipline to walk free. But, you know, for me, Rusty, one of the great things is uh, scripture says that, you know, God is light and in him there is no darkness. I cannot explain to you what freedom it was for me and what a journey it was for me to get to a place to truly believe that Jesus has no dark side. Mm. See, the, the abusers, they, they had a dark side. The, the pain of my background, I really didn't trust men. I really didn't trust authority. Um, I really thought everyone's got, uh, you know, another angle. And to get to a place where it's, you know what? He does love me. Right. He has no dark side. He's not gonna hurt me. People may have hurt me. People may let me down. People may have betrayed me, but Jesus won't. And when I could get to that place of trust, then it was okay that there were still many things in my life that I couldn't reconcile and I would never understand. But because I trusted the goodness of God, I was able to put my hand in his hand as he led me which, on a journey, which has now gone three decades, into increasing freedom and healing and wholeness. But it all starts with trust. You know, you won't obey a God you don't trust. You won't put your hand in the hand of a God that you won't trust. You won't follow a God that you don't trust. And I think a lot of times our challenge, um, even with Jesus and with walking out our full healing, has got a whole lot more to do with fear and a lack of trust than than sort of a bad motive of, you know, I really don't like God. I think it's we've been so hurt by people, so disappointed by life mm -hmm. that we wonder, can I really trust this God? And it took me a while to get there, um, but I can testify. Yeah. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be married. I, our marriage would not be where it is. I would not be the mother that I am to mm -hmm. the to the girls that I have. I wouldn't be leading A21 or running Propel. But I can testify that Jesus is who he says he is and that he really can and does set us free and loves us and cares for us. And he can heal any hurt. There's still a lot I don't understand. Who understands why abuse happens? Right. Who understands why abandonment and rejection and hurt and betrayal? But because I trust him, right. I can reconcile that this side of eternity. Wow. Let's talk a little bit about a verse that's important to you and to me. Micah 6, 8. Mm -hmm. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. How have you tried to emulate that for your kids? Yeah. It's obvious what you've done for the world, but just at home, yeah. to make that a value of theirs, not just yours. You know, I think it's um, so important. And I really believe that you reproduce who you are, not what you say. And so I think kids, a whole lot more is caught than taught. Mm. And so it's not, I've never sat down and had a Sunday school lesson with my kids even and, and said, let's memorize this Bible verse. But I hope that we've lived it out. And right. I think because they have seen us live it out and they see it, I mean, you've got to portray it in your own home to do the works of justice, to act justly, even within right. that context there. So my interactions with Nick, my interactions with our girls. What is it to love mercy? 
truly, what does it mean? I mean, you know, we throw that phrase, those two words are highly loaded, love, mercy. What is it for us to love mercy? And what is it to walk humbly with our God? What does that even begin to look like? Because in some sectors that means, you know, almost like a self-flagellation and sort of, and you know, and yet I encourage my daughters to become all that God's called them to become. In fact, it could almost seem antithetical to humility. I mean, we've already had that discussion, but I'm like, no, 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 I need you to flourish. I need you to be fruitful. God gave you a brain for a reason. God gave you uh, your gifts and talents. You know, you're, you're not a product of time. You're a product of eternity. God has plucked you out of eternity. He's positioned you in time and he's given you gifts and talents for the purpose of serving your generation. I've told them that since they've came out of my womb. Mm. And so they just know that for them, it's just absolutely normal. Um, And, you know, we've spoken over their lives from when they were young. And maybe this would be a way for some mothers to even understand what this might mean in terms of walk humbly with your God. You have to have a right view of who you are. So You know, since my daughters were born, I would always speak over them, Catherine, Bobby, you're the head and not the tail. You're above. I mean, from when they were like in their crib, um, you're above only and not beneath. You're a leader and not a follower. You're a woman of God. You're a woman of prayer. You're a Holy Ghost terrorist. You love the house of God. (laughs) And I've always told them, you're going to grow up and you're going to marry a very, very wealthy Christian man. And so I told them that because, you know, (laughs) I didn't pop out my second kid until I'm 40. So I'm going to need a rich son-in-law to look after me (laughs) when I get older. So, you know, I've always told them that and their daddy has always said to them no matter where we are in the world he's always pray over them you know you are intelligent you know Catherine Bobby you're intelligent you can do anything God's called you to do you can be anything God's called you to be Uh, you are beautiful and you know we'd and he'd he'd always leave and they are beautiful girls but he'd always talk about that last so that they know that they're intelligent they're strong they're capable he would always speak these kind of confessions over their life well Catherine went to school one day and so he I went to pick her up from kindergarten and you know in kindergarten they're not doing those sort of positive affirmations over one another during lunchtime so um, (laughs) the teacher said to me you know Christine there was a little fight at lunchtime today and one of the little boys he went up to your daughter Catherine and he ripped the teddy bear out of her hands and because he wanted her teddy bear and he said this to her he said Catherine Bobby you are dumb and you are ugly I kind of froze thinking, how does my daughter even know what that means? D- dumb and ugly. She wouldn't have even heard those phrases by five years old. And the teacher said, Chris, you should have seen what your daughter did. She just put her shoulders back. She eyeballed this kid. And I honestly thought, Rusty, I honestly thought she was going to say, and she king hit him. I'm like, yes, that is my daughter. Extra Christmas presents. If she did that, that's like, right. I'm like, you, I'm in. But anyway, that's not what happened, unfortunately. But she goes, um, and she looked at him. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm not ugly and I'm not dumb. My daddy says Mm. that I am intelligent and I am beautiful. And I just thought at that moment, when we're talking about walking humbly with your God, of truly understanding who you are, what your father has said about you. Now, because of my brokenness and my abandonment and my rejection and adoption and abuse, I, I was so broken that if that was said to me in kindergarten, that probably would have taken two decades off my life. And I'm sure today at church, so many women and probably men are listening to this. And there was someone that said that to them somewhere, some teacher, some parent, I wish you're dumb, you're ugly, I wish you were never born. And they've so internalized Mm. that thought. It has literally robbed them of decades of their life. It just keeps coming back. Someone, an ex-lover, an ex-spouse has walked out and just said those words that can cripple you and paralyze you. Now, I lived 
my formative decades like that, being defined by that, being limited by that. And then when I look at how Catherine responded, because that's what I believe walking humbly with her God, she knew who she is in Christ, not better than anyone, but no, no, I'm not that. Because, and I think that's why the serpent in the garden, he hasn't changed right from the Garden of Eden till today. The enemy will always come in and try to undermine the authority of what God has said about you, the authority of what God has said. And he'll try to make you doubt the goodness of God. You know, did God really say? Did God? That's, that's an arrogant attitude. Mm. To think you're a child of the king, to think you're a daughter, to think that you have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ. Who are you? I know what you did last night. I know what you did last week. I know. So he will always try to undermine, make you think you are less than you are so that you won't believe that God is who he says he is and that God in and through your life can do what he said he can do. I mean, the, the argument has never, ever changed. And then, of course, to act justly. I think it's so important that our kids see us. It, it comes from comments we make while we're watching the news at night. What, what do they hear coming out of our mouths about certain situations, certain political scenarios? I mean, our kids see it watching us in, in our own home. You know, we've just got a policy. Everyone's got their own. But, you know, we won't we rarely, if ever, I mean, I would have to miss it to really miss it, walk past someone on the street that might be asking for something that for whatever reason, you know what, in this, in this case, we are always going to reach out to these people. We are always going to see these people as human beings created in the image of God. I'm not going to give them a six-point sermon on why they're sitting on the side of the road asking for whatever. We are just going to do what we can with what we have, where we are, and help people. And we're not going to overlook people. Um, and if there's, I think in their scenarios, I mean, to bring it home, in school, it's okay, so let's talk about what happened with your friends. What, what would you say is just in this situation? I mean, as simple as that, before we get to global abolition, you know, um, and start, and, and to love mercy. Um, to, you know, you, mercy is not a natural thing. It's a supernatural thing. It's what God has. So we all who are Christ followers, I think, need to, I, I certainly are, very frequently pray, God, make me merciful. I want to be like you. Help me to love mercy. Because I, look, I hate injustice, particularly when it, I perceive it's been done against me. Right. And so, you know, it is funny how I can forget mercy when I think there's been an act of injustice right. against me. So we're very selective is what I'm saying about all of that. It's, it just sounds so easy and so pious and it's a great Instagram post. But having to flesh it out mm -hmm. is a daily thing. So it's like, you know, I actually can't do this. I actually right. can't. So I need God. And I teach my daughters in all of that. I said, your, your natural bent is going to be to protect yourself, right. to want to vindication. I said, you're not going to love mercy. You will when it's for something in a faraway country where it's not connected to you. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to your friends, your world, your inconvenience, your toys, your gadgets, our little life, oh, no, no, you're not going to really want mercy. You're going to want use. So and now let's talk about what that's going to look right. like. That's how it would translate in our world. What I'd like to do right now is give you just a free shot and just speak to the women in our audience right now watching and just say whatever God puts on your heart. Maybe speak a word of blessing over For them sure. or whatever you need to say. Yeah. You know, girls, um, I, here's what I want you to know above everything, that there's not one accident in this room today, that you were created in the image of God, filled with God-given purpose, God-given potential. And I know we live in a world that loves to tell us that we're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. I mean, we can't even buy 
our groceries without a magazine looking at us, telling us that we are just not enough for this world. But I want you to know that Christ in you is the hope of glory and in Him, you are more than enough. You are exactly the person that God has called you to be. You, you, you're not an accident and in Christ, you have all that you need to do, all that you're called to do. Look, I tell people everywhere, I am the least likely person to be doing what God has called me to do on the earth. I'm the kid that was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted when I was born. My birth certificate does not have a name on it. It says child's name, unnamed, number 2508 of 1966. My social work report says that my biological mother did not even want me and wanted to get the procedure over and done with as quickly as possible and move on. So I'm the kid that was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted. I'm the kid that was sexually abused for 12 years, the daughter of Greek immigrants before my big fat Greek wedding, when it was not cool to be Greek in Australia. It really wasn't and very marginalised because of my ethnicity and my gender. I don't know how to explain it to you. I basically fit every government funding category in Australia. I'm like a poor, marginalised, dispossessed. I, I grew up in the poorest zip code in my state, the third poorest zip code in the whole of Australia in government housing. So there I am, a poor, marginalised, dispossessed, you know, minority, ethnic, abused, adopted chick. I could make a fortune on government funding because they fund people like me and they say victim and we're going to put that label on you and come back next week and pick up a check and we're going to remind you of your label that you're a victim but girls I want to remind you that I read the book and my Bible says that he has redeemed my life from the pit so that I don't need to live as any kind of victim but the scripture says that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who strengthens us that our history does not need to define our destiny there is great great resurrection power that is available to every one of us. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you and on the inside of me. So I wanna remind you today, whether you're a biological mother, whether you're an adopted mother, whether you're a spiritual mother to others, all of us can be pouring into the next generation. So we can all be spiritual mothers of sorts. I want you to know that you're not here by accident. You are here on purpose for God's purpose. And I know so many of you perhaps have gone through so much pain, so much much struggle, so much heartache, but I am living proof that in and through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can start bad and you can finish good. Don't limit your God. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you can ever ask, hope or think according to that power that works in you. Your best days are still ahead of you in Jesus' name. That was awesome. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you for letting us crash your office here. And, and uh, <laughs> it's a privilege. And you said from Australia. I never would have guessed. Come on. You all got the accent. What is that Kentucky oh, accent? <laughs> Y'all don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, we're fixing to get out of here. We're so. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been so beneficial for all of us. And I'm just so grateful for all you do for so many and for just modeling for us justice, mercy, and humility. Thank you so much, Rusty. Thank you.
Well, that was fantastic. Always enjoy hearing from Christine and recommend all of her books. And she's just a fantastic speaker and writer and what a blessing she was to us. And so I hope she is to you as well. So make sure you share this with somebody else and uh, check out more at my website, pastorrustygeorge.com, where you can get more resources. And you can also find out about picking up a copy of the book, Justice, Mercy, and Humility. Love for you to be a part of that discussion as well. Until next time.